Welcome to It's a Good Life, the podcast for entrepreneurs, where it's all about growing yourself and your business. Here's your host, founder of America's largest business coaching company, Brian Buffini. Top of the morning to you and welcome to It's a Good Life. Today we're joined by a man with a very, very special story that I know will inspire you. His name is Damon West. Damon was a Division I quarterback living the dream. He suffered a career-ending injury and along the way got exposed to methamphetamine. They say when you meet meth, you meet your God, and Damon was instantly hooked. Eventually ended up receiving a 65-year prison sentence at the age of 33. In jail, he met a mentor named Mr. Jackson, who introduced him to a concept called the coffee bean. This led to a life of transformation, and ultimately Damon was released from prison after just seven years. Today, he's a professor of criminal justice and a hugely in-demand speaker. And I'm very excited to announce that Damon will be at our Mastermind Summit this August, so come and see him in person. Uh, but that's not all. He's also a best-selling author of The Change Agent and then The Coffee Bean, who he wrote with our good friend, John Gordon. Damon, you've got an amazing story, and I've been looking forward to this interview for some time. Welcome to the show. Brian, thanks so much for having me, man. And look, your team has been incredible. I, I do a lot of podcasts, and you don't always find a team that is that attentive to detail and really cares about, you know, how you're doing in your space about being here. Those guys were great. They worked with me really well. So you, your culture is incredible already. I just met you, and I know your culture is great. Well, I appreciate it. We have some great people, and the same with our events and coaching, and very, very thankful for it. And our team, one thing about our team is they love content like this. You know, we're in the coaching business, and a coach, by definition, is not just a vehicle back in the 1700s. It was designed to take a person from one place to the other. And your life went from one place to the other. And uh, we were talking before we, the program today, it's almost like a story from the Bible. I mean, it's a crazy story. It's almost too good to be true, except I know a bunch of people who know you and they're going, you know, he's not fully able to tell you the whole story. It's so good. So let's dive right in. Let's give our audience a, a quick overview from your perspective of your story. And I know it's going to inspire and help so many people here today. Yeah, Brian, I think the best place for me to jump in from this recording, which is July of 2023, we're going to back up 15 years to a date I'll never forget, July 30th, 2008. And on that day, I'm sitting in this little rundown apartment in Dallas on this little ratty old couch. I've got my meth dealer sitting right next to me. And, and, and Brian, at this point in my life, I'm a full-blown meth addict, and I'm the head of an organized crime ring. And the, the level to which I have fallen in life, like you said, is kind of biblical, man. You've got the rise, the fall, and the resurrection, but that doesn't happen yet. But I've gone from coming from this great background in Texas where I grew up, you know, came from a great family. My parents have been married for 55 years as of this recording, Brian. I didn't, didn't come from a broken home or a split home. Good education, but a great athlete. And like you said, Texas high school football, Texas college football. I did it all. I was a Division I starting quarterback in Texas. But after I got hurt in college, I went on to work in the United States Congress. I worked for a guy running for president. I worked on Wall Street. I worked for UBS, one of the biggest banks in the world. And, and in 2004, when I was a broker at UBS, I was introduced to meth for the first time by another stockbroker who saw me sleeping at work. And so he introduced me to this drug. And at first, I think it's a wonder drug. But 
man, it is the most evil, most destructive drug I've ever met in my life. And it, it totally consumed me. And you hit the nail on the head. When you meet, when you meet meth, you meet your God, because I worshiped at the altar of meth. And it took 18 months before I was homeless, living on the streets of Dallas after I lost everything. And I became a criminal. And I started breaking into cars first, breaking into storage units, shoplifting. Then eventually I started breaking into people's homes. And this is the crime of burglary. And when I broke into people's homes, Brian, I didn't just steal their property. I stole something way more valuable for my victims. I stole their sense of security. And I don't know if they can ever get that back. I want to say that out there right now. I know that I negatively impacted a lot of people in many ways. Thankfully, we never physically hurt any of our victims. No one was ever home. We never saw our victims. They never saw us. No one got hurt. No weapons were used. These are property crimes around meth. But in 2008, on July 30th, 2008, I'm sitting there alone with my dope dealer, and I'm telling him that he needs to get out of the apartment that we're in, that the cops are on to me. They're closing in on me. My partner in crime, Dustin, had just been picked up 10 days before in a stolen car, So I know he's going to snitch me off. I know it's just a matter of time before they get to me. And Brian, I'm telling you, just as I pass the pipe back to Tex, the window on my right blows out and shatters. And then tumbling across the living room floor is a little canister going end over end, and it's smoking on one side. Brian, I've seen this movie before. I know what this canister is about to do. And I tried to get out of the living room as fast as I could, but it was too late. Boom. It blows up in my face. The flashbang grenade blows up. And when I came to, when I can see and hear again, there's a cop standing over me in full SWAT riot gear. His boot is on my chest. The barrel of an assault rifle is digging in my eye socket. And this cop is screaming at the top of his lungs, don't move, don't move. And, and man, Brian, I screamed back at him, don't worry, don't worry. You got a gun in my eye, man. And so one of the cops screams out out loud, we got him. We got the uptown burglar. And, and that's what they called me, the uptown burglar. About a dozen other meth addicts and myself committed these burglaries, but I was the ringleader of the group. And you know, Brian, I want to say something right here about the SWAT team. When I got arrested that day, July 30th, 2008, um, I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. And this mindset that I have and the coffee bean mindset, I look at adversity now and I look for the opportunity in it. And when I look back on July 30th, 2008, I realized that what that wasn't just the day I was arrested. That was the day I was rescued. I got pulled out of a situation in life I couldn't get myself out of. In fact, my angels in life, Brian, they don't have wings in my story. They have assault rifles. They have shields. They, they have helmets. They, they come through the window. They bust down the door to pull me out of the world that I was in. I truly believe that God sent a SWAT team to get me out of there that day. So they take me to Dallas County Jail. They put me in a holding cell. They set my bond at $1.4 million. So I can't bond out. I call home to my parents in Southeast Texas and They're devastated, of course, but my mom immediately reminds me of the prayer plaque she had on my wall as a kid, and the prayer plaque was footprints in the sand, and she's reminding me that, Damon, you know, there's only one set of footprints where you are. They're not yours, and she she wants me to get on God's back, you know, but as an addict, I'm still only thinking about one thing, Brian, and that's getting out and getting high. Ten months later, I go to this trial, and the trial lasts for a week. It's a long criminal trial for crimes where no one got hurt. And at the end of that trial, the jury sentences me to life in prison. 65 years in Texas is life. And immediately after that trial, my mom and my dad are are given one last visit with me. And my mom has this conversation with me, Brian. And she tells me that I cannot get into one of these white hate groups, these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs that no tattoos. She said, no gangs, no tattoos. You come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. And this is like a a big line in the sand. She's drawn, Brian. I don't know how I'm going to do this. 
But there was a man that I ran into in Dallas County Jail. I was waiting for the prison bus to come pick me up to go serve my life sentence in prison. And this older black man named Mr. Jackson, older Muslim guy named Mr. Jackson, uh, he was always a real positive guy. Always had a smile on his face. And he would always come try to talk to me and pick me up during the, one of the most darkest and down times of my life. And one day he comes up to me and he's reminding me that I made this promise to my parents. He said, but here's how you're going to keep the promise to your parents. Imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he said, you're going to have three choices in this pot of boiling water of what you want to become in this life. He told me I could become like a carrot in the pot of warm water. The carrot goes in hard, but becomes soft, mushy, weak. I could choose to be like the egg, the egg that goes in with the hard outer shell that protects it physically in a soft liquid core. But in that boiling water, the soft liquid core becomes hardened. Your heart becomes hardened. You become a hard-boiled egg. He said, or you could choose to be a coffee bean because a coffee bean in the pot of boiling water changes the water to coffee. It is the change agent. He said, it's the only thing that will change the water. And so he said, if you want to be someone your parents recognize when you get out, you have to be a coffee bean. In fact, the last four words he shared with me, and the last words he ever said to me on this earth were, be a coffee bean. And Brian, I remember how I felt that day that he told me the allegory of the coffee bean. I was like, I could get, I could wrap my brain around that. I do have three choices of what I'm going to be. But I had no clue how hard prison was going to be. The pot of boiling water truly was. And prison was a violent, very dangerous place. And I went to the worst part of the prison system in Texas, a place where the lifers go. I was a lifer. After two months of almost constant violence, I finally had a chance to start working on myself and become that coffee bean. And it was not easy, but it was one of those things where you change your mindset. You change the way you think. And when you change the way you think, you change the results in your life. And I got up every day and I looked at prison, not as a punishment, but as an opportunity. And that mindset shift of looking at my adversity as an opportunity, the opportunity to become the best version of me, like my mom made me promise, was what got me to the point where when I saw parole seven years later, you know, November of 2015, the parole board comes to visit me. And they want to meet the guy that didn't just change himself in seven years, that changed the entire prison. And I talked to the lady from parole about the spiritual awakening that I had inside that institution, about how I became a coffee bean. And she wanted to know, can you find more coffee beans out there in the free world like you did inside this prison? And she said, Mr. West, I have one question for you today for this parole hearing. She said, if you could be remembered for being anything in life, anything at all, she said, tell me what that would be in just one word, go. And, and Brian, I remember, I breathed out and I relaxed. That's an easy question for a coffee bean, brother. I fired her answer back at her. I was like, ma'am useful. I just want to be useful. And I can be useful in the prison or I can be useful in the free world again. In November 16, 2015, Brian, seven years and three months after I walked into the prison, I walked out. And I, I'm not a free man. I tell people this all the time. You're not looking at a free man in front of you, brother. I've got a little more time left on parole in Texas. I'm on parole until the year 2073. That's 50. Yeah, that's, that's 50 years from when we're talking right now. But let me tell you something. I'm not worried about parole, Brian. I'm a coffee bean. And the only way this coffee bean is going to prison, well, I go to prisons all over America. I, I went to a prison yesterday. In, in the Texas prison system, the parole board reached out to me, and they wanted to know if I could create a curriculum to change the way men and women think inside the institutional prison. They said, Damon, you're the most high-profile parolee we have. You're the example that rehabilitation works. Can you create a curriculum for these men and women inside there? And every four months, I graduate a class from the Be the Change prison curriculum. And I try to bring somebody from my world into that world to show those men and women in prison the belief. Because growth 
follows belief. And so yesterday, I went into a prison in Texas, graduated a class, and I brought my friend Rudy Rudiger in there with me. Oh, good friend of ours. Yeah. yeah so Rudy came in, and I mean, these guys were screaming, Rudy, Rudy. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Rudy is the ultimate underdog, man. These guys in prison are underdogs. But I show people through my story, through the coffee bean, that it doesn't matter what the situation in life, no matter where you are in your life, the power is inside you to change the environment around you. But you have to change inside you first. And once that happens, then once you believe in yourself, then other people can believe in you too. But you have to believe in yourself. Let me ask you this question, because I know there's a bunch of people heard you say this, and, and this is where their head still is listening to this interview. You said, I was a couple of months in, and I started to work on myself. You know, for so many people, they're on a pattern, they're in a rut with their business, with their marriage, with their finances, with their health, with their weight, with drinking, with bad habits or whatever, poor business decisions, poor business habits. And they know that they've set goals, they listen to podcasts, they buy motivational books, they've heard speeches. And you just say, hey, I just started to work on myself. And again, you're in the most intense environment possible. I think the only thing scarier than a prison is being with the people who visit people in prison. And having been a guy that visited people in prison and stood by these folks, I mean, those folks are really terrifying. <laughs> so you're in this terrifying place. You've reached the bottom. Your mom and dad, your mom's giving you an ultimatum. You met your mentor who's kind of giving you the, okay, be the coffee bean. What is it that started you making the change? You said, I went to work on myself. What is it that started you doing that? And what did you do to start changing? Okay, great question. This, this, is, this is tactical information that anyone can use because there's many different ways to be in prison, Brian. Physical prison is just one. I, I'm going to tell you something, man. Before I answer your question, I meet more people out here in the free world that are locked up than I ever did when I served time in a real prison, Brian. More people are in prison by their thoughts and by their things and their habits than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete combined. So we have to not become a prisoner in our own mind. It's the hardest prison to walk out of. But in real prison, physical prison, I got up every day. The thing I had to do first, I had to begin my day in gratitude. I, I woke up and I was grateful for the opportunity to take another bite of the apple of life. No matter where you are in life, you have the ability to be, be grateful for something. So I had to begin in gratitude. And I would say it out loud. Thank you, God, for this opportunity today. I said it out loud, Brian, because then my ears are hearing it coming out of my mouth. And then after that, I prayed. I still say the same prayer today that I've been praying since I was in prison. I got into a program recovery in prison, Brian, and this is what really helped me out, uh, getting my beliefs and my habits and understanding my behaviors. I got into AA. It's a 12-step program recovery. Uh, I don't speak for AA, but I'm still, I still go to, I'll go to meetings the rest of my life, have a sponsor and work the steps. But when I got into AA, I learned a lot about myself and I learned how to pray because I had to get outside of myself to be in recovery, to stay sober, because addiction is a very selfish thing. And an addiction, Brian, doesn't have to be drugs or alcohol. It's food, money, clothing, shopping, sex, pornography, the internet, Instagram, it's social media. You can be addicted to just about anything in life. But addicts give up their goals to meet their behaviors. Addicts give up goals to meet behaviors. Driven people, focused people, successful people, people like the way you want to coach on with your platform, they give up behaviors to meet goals. And that's what I had to do day by day. I had to figure out the right belief systems and change my bad belief systems to good ones, work out on myself. And prayer was how I focused myself every morning. 
Here's the prayer that I say to this day. I've been saying this since I was in prison. I get up in the morning, I ask God for two things, Brian. I say, hey, God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you. And let me recognize that when I see it. Because I don't want to miss whatever that is. Amen. That's it, brother. That's what I pray for every day. And now I'm useful again because I'm looking for ways to serve other people. How did you become the coffee bean in, in prison? How did you serve your fellow inmates? You're in a max security prison. It's a very violent place. People I don't think have any realized, like, the most racist place in the world is a prison. Yeah. Everybody goes to their groups. It's hardcore. So how does the coffee bean change the water all around them in an environment like that? I mean, people have a hard time being a coffee bean to their family or their colleagues or their team or the company or the business they lead. So how do you do it when it's polar division, angry, violent people all cooped up in a place they don't want to be? One of the first things I would tell you every day, walk around with a smile on your face. Your your smile is powerful because when you smile, it changes the energy in the rooms you go into. I smiled all over that prison, Brian, and and it drove people crazy at first, but eventually it changed the energy everywhere I went. And that's the thing about your positive energy. Jackson told me this in county jail. He said, you either infect a room when you walk into it with your negative energy or you affect the room with your positive energy. So I try to have a positive effect everywhere I went. Now, you're right. In prison, how do you do it? I mean, I'm a guy that comes from a completely different background than most of the people I'm locked 99.9% of the people I'm locked up with do not have the background that I do. But that became my strength in there. When I was in prison, I couldn't take any college classes. I had a bachelor's degree already from when I graduated from North Texas back in 99. But what I saw in there is I could teach other men how to read, how to write, get them ready for the GED test. Uh, the guys that were taking college classes, I could help tutor them. Because that was one of the strengths that I had as I had been to school. And, and, and what I found is life that the people who were most qualified to help were the people that are in a place we once were. And so these men that were trying to better themselves through education, I tutored them. I tutored everybody that I could in there. One of the things I did, with these guys, would, would news, watching the news is real big in prison. And you're right. Everything is about race. They have benches in front of the TV set, and every bench is separated by different one race on one bench, one race on another bench. But, but in the evening, all the men would come together and they watch the news. This is the way you stay in touch with what's going on in the free world. But every time when the news would come on, they would talk about the Dow Jones, the NASDAQ, the S&P. The guys would just kind of shuffle around. They look down to the ground. They look up at the sky. They kick their feet a little bit. And I realized that they don't understand what any of that is. And so and I asked one day, man, do y'all know what they're talking about? And at first it was, it was almost a fight because they're like, oh, you making fun of us, white boy? And I'm like, no, let me teach y'all. Let me teach you all that I know about the stock market. These guys picked it up like that, Brian. You're like the real-life Andy Dufresne here, bro. I mean, you're, yeah. you are like Shawshank Redemption personified here. You're tutoring people, teaching them finances. Unbelievable. Absolutely. And, and, but it didn't stop there. Like, a- after that, like, a- another thing is, like, take pride in where you live. I, my home was in prison, man. I would be in the rec yard sometimes playing sports with those guys, and they call the, they blow the whistle for rec to be over. And I'm like, all right, guys, I'm taking it to the house. I'm out of here. And, they're, and then we get, they get upset. They're like, no, man, that's not your house. That's your prison cell, man. And I'm like, dude, that's my house. Anywhere I get my mail, that's where I live, man. This is home for me right now. But because it's home, I set the example of what I want my home to look like. When I saw trash on the ground, on the rec yard, anywhere in the prison, around the pod, in the day room, I would go around picking up trash, wrappers on the ground, you know, empty Coke cans on the ground. 
and people, people made fun of me at first. But I set the standard on what I want a place that I live to look like and, and take pride in my area. And guys picked up on that, right? And that's one of the things the parole board, the wardens, the, the, the commanding officers, they saw that everywhere I went, the energy changed and the violence even went down. I mean, this is a guy that had an effect, not necessarily, I wouldn't call it the calming effect, but the effect of positive energy. And that's the whole power of my story, Brian. If I could do it in there, then you can do it out here. Imagine a world where everybody went around with this positive mindset of being a coffee bean. And, and they realized that if I can start my day off on the right foot, then then I can have great days. And, and Brian, I'll say one more thing about how I did it every day in there. That has helped me now in life with where I am, because what prison gave me, what my hardship gave me was perspective. Perspective of what a bad day looks like. We all have perspective in life, Brian, but sometimes we forget to apply it. We get up. We think we're having a bad day. Things are going tough, and it may be a difficult day. But ask yourself, is this really a bad day? I mean, did someone die today? Did a marriage fail? Or did a bankruptcy occur? Did I lose my job? Or did a child get hurt? No. Well, every day that I wake up, Brian, and my feet don't hit the cold concrete floor of the prison cell, I'm having a good day now. In fact, since November 16, 2015, I've had good days. I've had a lot of good days. <laughs> Sir, yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. And again, the reason I love the how-tos, we have a how-to audience. You know, you wrote The Change Agent, which was your story. You wrote The Coffee Bean with John Gordon, which anybody listening to positive energy, negative energy, oh, okay, I can see how these two guys could be friends. And now <laughs> yeah. you guys have written the next one, which is How to Be a Coffee Bean, which is, over, you know, 101 strategies of how to actually change it, where you really roll up your sleeves and get into the how-tos, which is magnificent. Talk to me a little bit, because one of the dynamics I've seen in coaching people is, you know, we, we help people. They're in a bad state with their finances. They owe a lot of debt. They got problems at home. They've lost their confidence. We help them change their business. We put fundamentals in place. And the next thing you know, they're making lots of money. They're doing real well. But sometimes the dynamic is to turn back to where they were. You, the parole board says, hey, this guy's not an act. We've watched this for seven years all right, we're going to give this guy a second chance, and you get a second chance. How were you able to adjust your mindset once you were released? How were you able to accept that and embrace that freedom? You, you know, you're married, you have a stepdaughter now, you're, you're a public speaker. So many people who are ex-cons, they're so ashamed of it, they'll never tell anybody the rest of their life. You make a living telling people and writing books about it. How did you make that change? Because it's a drastic change to go from the prison to free life again. Great question, Brian. And there's a great answer behind that. When I got out of prison, I, I knew I wanted to share this story. And, and my dad, you know, my dad was a journalist for 50 years. He was a sports writer. And he told me, he said, listen, if you're going to go around telling your story, you're going to have to own every part of your story. Own it. Complete ownership. No excuses, Damon. You own it all. And that's one of the things you, if you read The Change Agent, that's what I did. I mean, I turned the, the gun around on myself and pulled the trigger. And but when you own your past, you don't become a, you're no longer a slave to your past. When you own your past, you can write a better future. And so that's what I did. I own my, my story, but here's the deal. You know, you can't just go knocking on the door of schools uh, when you get out of prison and say, hey, I just got out of the joint. I want to talk to your kids. Man, they'll lock you back up. But I had to find people to believe in me, and it took a while. And I started sharing my story locally in Southeast Texas when I got out of prison you know, a school group here, a rotary club there, uh, church groups here and there. Churches were very welcoming to the story because there's a lot of elements of Christian faith inside this story. And, and it, 
one of the main tenets of, I mean, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. One of the main tenets of our faith is to show grace and forgiveness. And that's what a lot of people did. They showed me a lot of grace. But I had this dream, Brian, of sharing the story with college football programs because I played college football. But the thing is, I haven't taken a snap in college football since 1996 against Texas A&M when I got hurt, right? This is 2017 when I get this phone call. It's January 12th, 2017. I work at a law firm in Beaumont, which is a good job for a guy just out of prison. I've been out of prison 14 months. Everything's going well, but I have no traction in the speaking world. Buddy of mine calls me up from Houston, 90 miles away. He says, Damon, tonight is the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year Award. They're going to name the best college football coach in America. He said the eight best coaches in the country will be in this room tonight at the Toyota Center. I've got an extra press pass if you want to go. He works for the media. You bet I want to go. So I drive the 90 miles from Beaumont to Houston after work. I got, I got my elevator pitch going in my head for, for 90 minutes, man. I get to the Toyota Center. He sneaks me in the back door, hands me a press pass. There I am. I'm on the floor. And all these coaches there, USC, Wisconsin, Penn State, P.J. Fleck, they're all there, Brian. And I get to go up and meet each one of these coaches and shake their hands, press the flesh, and give them my pitch of why they should bring me in to talk to their team. And every coach I meet that night, Brian, slams the door in my face. No, no, don't call us. We'll call you. In one hour, I've been told no seven times by the eight coaches that are there. One hour, seven no's. That's a no every eight minutes, man. I'm in the corner of the Toyota Center. I'm licking my wounds. I'm feeling sorry for myself. And the voice in my head is screaming at me, Brian. Go home, Damon. What are you doing? You're an imposter. You don't belong in this room. Did you think they would tell you yes? But I'm going to tell you something, Brian. A long time ago, I quit listening to myself because the voice in my head was fear too many times. I don't listen to myself. I talk to myself. And now I'm telling myself, I'm pumping myself up, telling myself, Damon, you survived prison. You survived something way worse than this. I'm, I'm applying perspective, right? And, uh, and Damon, that last coach is going to have to tell you no to your face before you go home. You're not leaving anywhere until he tells you no. And the last coach is the hardest guy to get to in the room. His team had just beat Alabama two nights before for the national championship. Everybody wants this man's time. So, Brian, I stalked Dabo Sweeney around that room. And I, look, and I look like a nut, man. I'm hiding behind fake plants. I'm weaving in and out of tables. Every conversation Dabo has, I'm on the corner of it waiting to jump in. Finally pounce on Dabo. I give him a minute of my best stuff, man. And I come up for air. And Dabo's like, man, you got a card on you or something? So I gave him my card. He snatched it. And over his shoulder, he's leaving. He's like, I'll check you out. And he's out of there. And I'm like, man, that's a no. I mean, it looks like a no, feels like a no. But I'm going to tell you what I felt really good about that no, because that no was me leaving it all on the field. And that's what we learn when we're younger. We play sports in life, man. We, we leave it on the field. We give it our best shot. Sales, you knock on every door. You make every call. That's when your day ends. Or as Mr. Jackson told me in Dallas County Jail, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. And that night, I fought them all, go home, sleep like a baby. I forgot about that night. Four months later, I'm at the law firm. I get an email that day, and the email is from a guy named Mike Dewey, the director of football operations at Clemson University. Oh, man, Mike emails me. He says, hey, Damon, Coach Sweeney met you at a award show in Houston. He'd love to have you come talk to the team. Do you have August 1st open? I'm like, Mike, I got every first open, man. I got nothing going on in my life at this time. So August 1st, 2017, Brian, I go speak to the Clemson Tigers, the defending national champions of college football. And when I get done with my presentation that night on August 1st, 2017, Dabo is in my face in the team room. And Dabo is a very high energy guy, just as you see on TV, man. 
He's in my face. He's like, Damon, he said, that's, that's, that's one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard. He said, my players, man, they, they, they wouldn't stop asking you questions. The, the response I saw from them, he said, have you been to Alabama yet? And I'm like, no, Dabo, I've been to Clemson, dude. I haven't been anywhere. He said, well, I just text Nick Saban from the back of the room. We'll see what happens. The next day, I land back in Houston. I got a voicemail and a text message from the director of football operations at Alabama, Ellis Ponder. He says, hey, Damon, we'll see you in Tuscaloosa in three weeks. Just like that, Dabo Sweeney starts kicking open the door to college football. And Brian, everybody's calling now. You know, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley, they're all calling my cell phone. But the real magic in my life happened one year after that presentation of Dabo's team for the first time. It was August of 2018. I'm at my desk at work at the law firm, which, by the way, I don't work at the law firm anymore. Nope. And I get this phone call that day. And on the other end of my phone is a guy named John Gordon. John Gordon, the energy bus guy, man, the guy that I follow for, for my inspiration every day on Twitter. I'm a huge follower of John at this point. I'm like, John, man, I know who you are. How do you know who I am? He said, Dabo Sweeney. He said, I was just speaking to the Clemson team, and Dabo brought, brought me in the office after the presentation for, for 30 minutes, Damon. He tells me your whole story. And, and John said this in 2018, Brian. He said, the world needs the coffee bean message, Damon. Let's deliver it the world. Will you write a book with me? We'll call it The Coffee Bean. And so my life completely changed in the summer of 2019 when John Gordon and I released the book, The Coffee Bean, uh, exactly 10 years after I first heard the story of The Coffee Bean from Mr. Jackson in Dallas County Jail. But Brian, everything goes back to that night in Houston, Texas, man. January 12th, 2017, I'm in the corner of the Toyota Center and the voice, the voice is telling me to leave. And, and if I listen to that voice, Brian, we're not having this conversation today. The world doesn't have the coffee bean message. That's it, brother. Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. And here it is. And the change agent turned into the coffee bean. And now how to be a coffee bean. It's a joy for me, you know, like uh, the connections to your story. Because I was speaking into John Gordon's life in 2007 when he was the guy that was just starting his speaking career and had a chance to kind of influence him. And now I hear he's influenced you. And it brings me great joy. And it gives me great joy because one day you're going to be talking to some young speaker and helping him out. And, you know, now you've written these books, you've got more speaking engagements than you kind of know what to do with. Yeah. And you're impacting people all over the world. By the way, Dabo Sweeney was led to faith by his college roommate, Joey Jones, who was a wide receiver at Alabama. And Joey Jones and I are great friends. His wife, Titsi, and my wife were college teammates on the University of Alabama volleyball team. So it's there's all of these relationships, and it's all about passing it on and passing it on. And That's so small world, man. Yep. I just, I just played in a golf tournament and spoke to one of his other roommates' companies in, in, in Birmingham, Chris Donnelly. Oh, yeah. It, it, it is just like the world of, man, so much in my life has happened because of that, that guy, Dabo Sweeney, man. Just an unbelievable Christian man. And again, you didn't listen to the little voice that said give up and perspective. And I think that's a great lesson. And you have a whole lot more to share, and we're going to get to that and, and expose you to our audiences in many, many ways. I hope they get a chance to get a hold of this book. It's a magnificent story. You're living a fabulous life. And, you know, I'm going to ask you some questions here in a minute. One of the questions we always ask people is, what's your favorite movie? And nine out of 10 interviews, no matter who they are, will say The Shawshank Redemption. But I never actually met someone who was Andy Dufresne. And today, it sounds like you're living in Sewantaneo, not perfect. Every day is, you know, a challenge. You're still on probation. You still have those kinds of things. But I would say this, the hope that change is possible is what we all want. 
And those of us who even have made changes in our life, we need to make more. And the fact that change is possible, the fact that there's steps to do it, it's a mindset, it affects the heart, it affects the hands, it affects the spirit. You know, you're a great example of all that. Damon, if I can for a second, I'd love to finish up. We have five rapid fire questions. We've asked everybody, Mr. Gordon included. And I'd love to ask these questions, just kind of like gives people a different flavor of who you are. And I haven't prepped you for them, so I'll throw them out to you. Again, the first one, you might have already covered it, but what's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, the best piece of advice I've ever been given is to serve other people. Uh, through people like John, people like Dabo, my sponsor in AA, uh, service work is what is what it's all about. Servant leadership, be a servant to other people, look for ways to enrich the lives of people. What's the one talent or gift you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Um, the ability to focus better, because in, in my life, and you've been a speaker, so you understand this, you're, you're rapidly moving around. You're very transient. You're never in one place. And, and like I'm working on writing another book right now, Brian, but it's very difficult to write a book uh, on plane trips, hotel rooms, in between presentations. Uh, I, I just, I'm not as focused as I once was, and, but that's something I would like to be more focused. Good, good. We'll talk to you about that. What book has been most instrumental in your life? Oh, my God. All right. Besides the Bible, because I'm a Christian. I mean, if I can say the, the, the Bible for sure is the first one. But there's a book that I read in prison, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Mm, and Victor Frankl. so many people, when you walk into prison, people will give you that book and say, hey, look, you need to read this. It's a survival guide almost for, survive, for doing that. And Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, was one of the best books I've ever read. Brilliant. His son carries on his legacy out of Arizona today. He still yes. keeps that message going forward. I've got to ask you this. What one movie do you watch over and over again? I mean, you know I love Shawshank Redemption. I mean, it, <laughs> but here's what I... Can I say something about that, though, Brian? Yeah. When I saw Shawshank for the first time in 1995, I was 20 years old. I was this punk, cocky, arrogant kid. It didn't understand the world. And when I saw it for the first time in 1995, I thought, hey, that's a cool movie about Andy Dufresne. He escapes from a maximum security prison. But 20 years later, when I get out of prison, my dad and I watched that movie because he wants me to watch all the prison movies with. He recorded every prison movie while I was locked up. So he's like, watch them all with me. Tell me who got it right. So we started out with Cool Hand Luke, and we watched them all. But Shawshank was the one that got it right. And whoever consulted on Shawshank had actually done time before. I'm, I'm positive about that. And, um, and in this movie, in Shawshank, the reason why they got it right is because they understood the world of prison and the lack of hope that there is inside of a prison, because that's the place where prisons devoid of hope. But when I saw Shawshank after I got out of prison and I already been through my own prison, I realized that Shawshank wasn't a story about Andy Dufresne. It's Red's story. And the reason why it's Red's story, not Andy's story, is because Red is a dead man when we meet him in prison for the first time. Red's a dead man walking because he's lost hope. He says the words out loud. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope is a dangerous thing. But what does, he, what does Andy tell Red? Andy tells Red, get busy living or get busy dying. And by the end of that movie, Red says the words out loud, hope is a good thing. Because everybody has to have hope, right? Magnificent. Magnificent. Very moving listening to this coming from you today. Last but not least, what does a good life mean to Damon West? Oh, man. Good life for me is, Brian, I, I get a chance every day to go out there and positively impact the world, to take what was once uh, a life that that was not worth living and and show what what people are capable of doing and here's what i tell people all the time 
God doesn't set bushes on fire anymore, Brian. That's very Old Testament. That's, that's old stuff. God sets people on fire. And that's how God shows that He's real. And we all get to be those people that are glowing in the light of what only He can do. My life, everything that's going on is a testimony to the fact that God is real. Because you can't explain what's going on. Not just what's happened, but what keeps happening in my life. These are all things that I call God things. And every day that I wake up and I'm sober and I get to live in God's purpose, that's a good life for me. Well, we're pretty disciplined around here. We typically keep our shows to a certain amount of time, whatever else, and, and we've blown over all that. And to be honest with you, I could have done another hour with you today. I feel blessed and privileged to have heard your story in person. Knowing John and being friends with John for the past 18 years, you know, he jumped up and down and said, you got to meet Damon. He says, you guys are going to be friends. You, you got to meet this guy. I just know right now there's an awful lot of people who've listened to this today who've been blessed who have a sense of hope, maybe for themselves, maybe for a loved one. Well, we got into some nitty-gritty on some change and some how-tos and what you did and how you did it. The book is How to Be a Coffee Bean. I think anyone listening to this day is going to run out and get it for themselves and probably a family member for Christmas, because we all need to be a coffee bean. We all want to change. We live in a divided world, and nowhere more divided than prison. But rather than wait for things to change outside, we need to get in the hot water and then be the flavor, be the flavor. And so you've certainly done that. It's been a blessing today, Damon. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us and everyone on this audience today. Yes, certainly hope to have you at some of our conferences here in the future, because people are going to want to hear more. I would love to, Brian. Thank you for the opportunity to be useful today. That's what I told the lady from parole, and you allowed me to be useful by reaching out to your audience today. Thank you so much. Well, someone who's been pretty useful my whole life and has been a change agent is my mom, Therese Buffini. She's uh, 92 years of age, and she finishes off our show with a little Irish blessing, Damon, and she's going to send us off today in fine style. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. (laughs) 